Welcome to Picked Voices, the interview series conducted by faculty of the Paris Institute for Critical Thinking with notable members of the broader Picked community. Our goal is to present our community with a variety of voices across the spectrum of the humanities and critical creative thinking. My name is Christophe van Houten, and today it is my great honor to be joined by Cardinal Michael Cerny, SJ, Undersecretary of the Migrants and Refugees Section of the Holy See's Dicastery for Promoting Integral Human Development. Hello and welcome, Father Michael. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Now, for good understanding, I called you SJ. This is not a curse word. It simply stands for the Society of Jesus. And as I basically said that you, just like Pope, Saint, Pope Francis, are a Jesuit. Now, before we start our conversation, we decided that a preliminary sentence of explanation might be appropriate on this occasion. It is, in fact, the first of hopefully many occasions that a representative of a religious institution appears on one of our podcasts. Now, PICT is an institute of education and research. Even more, we are a critical educational institution. And it is for this reason that we might not agree on everything that will be said in what follows. But it is also for that specific reason that it is fundamental that we have this conversation. Having said that, I have to admit that I am particularly pleased that you agreed to talk to me, as not only does your ex expertise cover fields that are of interest to us at, at PICT as well, but also because you are not simply someone who knows how things work at the, topper ex at the upper echelons of the church, which you obviously do as a cardinal, but also that you have been abo involved above all else in how things work at the lower levels and on the field. But before we discuss uh, into more detail some of the more personal aspects of your expertise, I would like to start with you as a prince of the Catholic Church and treat a topic that has been haunting us all for the past year, the COVID-19 pandemic. And please allow me to be very direct. Now, I have to admit that up until today, I have not been able to understand the policy of the Vatican hierarchy. I really do not understand why the church has little to say beyond telling people that they should follow what their respective governments decree. Now, of course, I understand that it would not have been easy for the Vatican to ask people to disobey their governments, although this has been done on other occasions and regarding other topics. But I think that the reductive take most governments have taken on this virus, focusing purely on the biological survival of every human being, whilst sidelining the intellectual, cultural, and above all spiritual needs of us humans, could have justified this different take. Schools have been closed, artistic venues have been shut down, and many religious services have been cancelled. But human life is not just biological survival. So my question to you is, would it have been appropriate for an institution like the Catholic Church to take a more proactive stance in defending and addressing people's spiritual needs in a situation like this? Yes, thanks for the good question. And uh, it's, it's interesting that you ask it in this way because uh, it, uh, it communicates uh, the, really the distressing uh, poverty, the bleakness of life for many people uh, in this COVID time. Uh, but your your question is maybe based on uh, thinking too much of the Vatican as if that was what uh, was running everything in the church, whereas what you have to ask yourself 
in any situation, uh, whether it's in a city or a region, a province, a district, or, or in, a, in a whole country, what uh, is the church doing and what has the church, uh, how has the church been responding? And there you will find a huge variety of uh, responses which meet the very needs that you're talking about. In other words, I think you've uh, pitched your, your gaze too high and you, you're not seeing actually what's going on let's say, around you, where you will find that uh, spiritual and even cultural needs are being met in, in, in very creative ways, and um, people are uh, finding ways of reaching out to each other, and uh, many times these uh, activities or these initiatives are indeed organized by the local parish, uh, by the a local uh, religious order of sisters or priests like uh, like us Jesuits or by uh, Catholic organizations like um, Caritas or uh, uh, the many others they have so many different names in, in different places so um, and but, but what the Holy Father has been doing and in that sense the Vatican is a constant uh, uh, accompanying of this uh, tragic process throughout the world with uh, his uh, gestures, with his um, uh, ceremonies, uh, and with his teaching that um, I think for many has been practically the only source of exactly the kind of leadership that you have been seeking in your question. In other words, um, uh, addressing people's uh, human, uh, cultural, spiritual, uh, family needs and not just thinking that this is a uh, narrow, narrowly defined uh, medical emergency, which is going to find a technical solution. All right, thank you. And and I think it's uh, my question was a provocation. I, I obviously know that the church is not just the Vatican, but this is generally what people see. And so I'm very happy with how you answered because in in the end, I think that's the most important part of of religion, which is the base work, and that's why mm -hmm. also. In, in fact, our our section, migrants and refugees section, we published uh, practically since the beginning of the of the uh, pandemic, we have published a weekly bulletin uh, telling people what uh, uh, the responses, illustrating the responses of, of uh, church groups, uh, parishes, and so on around the world, uh, a weekly thing. So there was, and I can assure you, there was plenty of material to publish. So uh, <laughs> if you want to re review those issues, you will get a panorama of responses that I think will uh, not only answer your question, but warm your heart. Okay, thank you very much. Now, please allow me one more question about COVID and one that unfortunately is connected to the very difficult subject of death. Now, all too many COVID deaths are deaths without closure. Uh, many COVID patients die in hospitals where they are alone without the chance to make their peace with family members or loved ones. And the Pope also denounced this in his recent encyclical letter Fratelli Tutti. Now, for followers of the Catholic Church, the issue of closure is compounded in that these lonely deaths deaths take place without the possibility of the final sacrament. Now, as the representative of an institution concerned with spiritual well-being above all else, but also as a human being, could you share your perspective on this issue of death without closure, particularly in the case of so many COVID-19 deaths, but also more generally, please? Well, it's, uh, of course, it's the ideal and, and everyone's hope 
uh, to die uh, peacefully, uh, surrounded by uh, by family and uh, comforted also by the church, by the final sacraments, uh, and by the feeling that uh, the uh, community in which one has lived and the faith uh, life one has had is uh, now coming to fulfillment rather than suddenly being uh, cut off. However, it's unfortunately true that many people uh, long before COVID uh, have been dying alone, uncared for, disconnected, and uh, and really discarded. So uh, if, in that sense, your question might be the larger question of how um, contemporary society uh, deals with death. And um, if you want a, a Catholic point of view, uh, I would say that one of the problems are the uh, one of the problems, not the greatest, but one of the problems are the obstacles that are sometimes put that make it make it more difficult for people uh, to be accompanied. But in the in in this uh, year of COVID, again, I think if you if you look for the uh, uh, for the examples which are the answers to your question, not 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 statements, but, but examples, mm -hmm. uh, you'll, find, you'll find many extraordinary examples, which include, uh, for example, priests accompanying somebody through, uh, through a hospital window, uh, mm -hmm. if, if the window was accessible, if they weren't allowed into the room, at least they were just outside the room and then simultaneously on the, on the cell phone. Or uh, priests or sisters or other chaplains, lay chaplains who who did uh, manage to get permission to put on all the protective gear and to go in and, and be with the people in their, in okay. their troubled times. And one of, in fact, one of my companions, a, a priest in Chicago, uh, did exactly that. And, and that's where he got COVID, by okay. accompanying somebody who was dying. So again, there are examples uh, which, uh, in a sense, uh, respond to your question, and there, unfortunately, there are other uh, many instances, and I think that's the bigger problem. Uh, of uh, and this is something that the Holy Father's been talking about a lot. Also, is the apartheid to which we subject the old. Hmm. So <clears throat> it's not that they die alone, as if they were with us during life, but they they are separated out and put away uh, long before they die. So dying alone is only the fulfillment of the of the uh, sin, you might say, that as as societies and, uh, in, and even as economies, we don't seem to know how to keep our old people with us, and that's uh, that's a big problem, a very yeah. big problem. Yeah, I, I already had an earlier podcast with Professor Finkelstein from New York, and she said very similar things as you are saying now. So it, it's unfortunate that this is confirmed all over the world. Mm. Now. You have never shied away from a controversial stand if you believed it was true. I remember your positioning during the so-called condom debate, where you claimed to great anger from uh, certain corners that the condom alone would not stop the HIV-AIDS crisis, that a spiritual cure was needed as well. Now, I have no desire to rehash that debate, but I think your position is relevant to the current discussion surrounding COVID vaccinations. It seems that once more we have a technical solution, the vaccine in this case, we can, and which would lead to the possibility that we just can forget the whole COVID experience and return to life as normal. Now, do you think we are missing the spiritual cure once again? And how would a spiritual cure look like in your opinion? Well, the, 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 the spiritual cure is, is again what uh, Pope Francis has been developing and uh, um, 
communicating um, now for for a whole year, and uh, uh, and that is that um, our uh, the, the worst the worst pandemic is not COVID. The worst pandemic is the individualism which has been enshrined and is reinforced by especially by the economic system which which in which isolates and individuates people to the point that they are competing instead of cooperating and that uh, the um, profit motive without uh, qualifier or uh, political supervision is simply is the the unique driver and this is uh, this is a, an impoverishment of our life together that that is costing us now very very dearly and covid uh, has uh, has put, uh, as they say, the, the, the magnifying glass or, or the microscope on this uh, ailment of our uh, system, of our uh, global economic uh, order or disorder, whatever you wish to call it, mm-hmm. and as has highlighted the, the fault lines. And the fault lines, uh, the, the, the fundamental fault line is the individualizing and the you might say rend, uh, sac- the, the, the sanctification of selfishness and self-interest, and while these are uh, part of life and, and, and an essential part of life, they, they, they cannot be the drivers. They cannot be the drivers of, of our uh, socio-economic, uh, cultural, political being together, and unfortunately, that is what we seem to be reduced. Mm-hmm. So, COVID is uh, is a is a tragedy for many. It is a terrible uh, affliction for nearly everyone. Uh, we can we can hardly wait uh, to uh, to stop with it and to get on to other things. But uh, it is also an opportunity to uh, recalibrate or to refocus or to restructure our uh, way, the way in which we live together. What our Holy Father calls uh, how we run or how we manage our common home. And how we behave in our in our family, our common human family, and this uh, recalibration or reorientation, uh, this restart, uh, is very 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 important. And you don't need COVID to convince you of it. You can uh, you can list ten or twenty other issues, which I'm sure you've talked about on your program, each of which could argue that uh, in order to meet this issue. We need a restart. We need a recalibration. We need a reorientation. And as Pope Francis says, these uh, crises are all interconnected, interrelated. And so we have a chance to, to, to give a kind of a systematic response to our, dis, our dilemmas. Oh. Uh, the question is, the, quest, the question is, are we going to take advantage of this sad opportunity or are we going to just rush back to what we uh, call uh, or used to call normal, mm. which is normal for uh, relatively few and is uh, miserable for many. Mm. And this is uh, this really should be for for each and every one of us. This should become utterly unacceptable. Mm. Mm. Thanks for this. Now I would like to turn to a different topic, a topic that I know to be very near and dear to your heart, namely migration. As I mentioned when I introduced you, you are the Undersecretary of the Migrants and Refugees section of the Dicastery for promoting integral human development. But you are also someone with personal experience of migration and its effect. You are, your own family migrated from Czechoslovakia to Canada when you were only two years old. So 
My first question combines the personal and the vocational. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about your own experience as a child in a migrant family? And how does your work of the migrants and refugees section relate to your own experience? Well, uh, maybe to begin with the last, I would say that uh, I've been uh, in the migrants, or been working in the migrants and refugees section now since the beginning of uh, 2017. And uh, I can tell you that uh, until then, I'm not sure that I was um, so uh, constantly aware of being a, uh, being a migrant or a refugee or a, a displaced person. Of course, I knew it, mm. but um, maybe because um, the issues I was dealing with uh, didn't touch on it so explicitly. Anyway, it wasn't it, it wasn't so. Um, so vital for me. Uh, but when I started to work in migrants and refugees section uh, and began to hear what uh, people who have been displaced, what they've gone through and have, what their experiences have been, answers the answers to the very same questions that you're asking me now. When I heard others answering those questions, I began to say, well, that's but we went through that too. Mm -hmm. I know what they're talking about. That's not just uh, those aren't, that's not just a story I'm listening to, that's an echo of what I've lived. And so that's when I began to realize um, that maybe my own life has been more marked by this uh, early experience and lifelong experience than I had realized. And to, to that, to such an extent that when I became a cardinal uh, just uh, over a year, a year and a half ago, for my coat, uh, coat of arms, my emblem, I chose a... Um, a, what would be like a lifeboat with uh, uh, four people, a family of uh, parents and two two children, which was what we were, mm. in a boat on the sea. And uh, that is, is a symbol also of the church, but also uh, an, an expression of what we ourselves did. Mm. And uh, yes, I, I would say the the difficult uh, questions about uh, who... Where you belong, when you say uh, when you say home, that usually has a family connotation, and home is wherever uh, my family is. Home is wherever I feel at home. Um, but beyond home, then where where do you belong? Mm. And um, do I actually belong where I was born? Do I belong where where I grew up and where I have uh, I have a uh, where I'm a citizen? Or do I belong where I where I am, where I am living my life and dedicating my life? Where's home? And and is there is there actually do any of us have a home that we can go back to once we have, you know, moved on? Mm. These are uh, these may be more philosophical or even poetic questions, but they they're important because when we, which is what your questions are going to come to then when we have resistance to migration and uh, prejudice it's based on a false concept of of a kind of stability and a kind of right uh, my right to be here and my right to be of this uh, you know carrying this label mm. this is something much more ephemeral than than perhaps defenders of uh, like to think. And mm. uh, having been a migrant, I, I know it. Mm. 
Yeah, thank you for this. Now, remaining on the topic of migration, you have uh, ruffled some feathers by claiming that the so-called migration crisis is not really a crisis, but mainly a series of mismanagements and poor policies and self-interest manipulations. I basically agree with that. Uh, may I ask you, however, to elaborate on this position? What are the mismanagements and the manipulations you talk about and why do they, why do they come about and who benefits from them? Think? Well, one way of uh, answering your question is to look at the word crisis mm. and to see how it's used. And uh, the, uh, the expression, the world migration crisis, you see, is, is a construct which uh, doesn't tell you anything, except, but, it, it, but it's very good for generating fear. And mm. this, this is what uh, we have uh, both inadvertently and maybe deliberately done, is to generate an atmosphere of uh, fear of, uh, and, and of confusion around uh, this very, 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 very normal phenomenon of, of the movement of peoples. Mm. Uh, I, uh, I don't want to seem prejudiced, but I have the impression that you're not a native of the country from which you are... Uh, uh, calling me, no. just as I'm not a native of the country from which I'm responding. So here we have 100% uh, mobility in our little community of two. And, uh, and if you look around your uh, institute and count how many people are from somewhere else, I, I, I suspect you would get uh, well over 50%. Yes. So, uh, uh, okay, so the word crisis then is misplaced when it's put, in my opinion, and this ruffles the feathers maybe, it's oh. misplaced when it's put at too high a level. Because then it's, uh, instead of uh, opening the door to solutions, it rather creates uh, blockages. Oh. The crisis, the real crisis is for the family. Oh. The real crisis is for the young person who has fled from uh, where they grew up because there's absolutely no future or because they're being persecuted or because they belong to the wrong religion, uh, race, color, or whatever. That's the crisis. Mm. And that crisis is a crisis that you and I can deal with, and we should. And um, uh, Pope Francis is very wise. He says, we are obliged to uh, welcome and, uh, and integrate people on the move up to the point, up to the point where we cannot absorb anymore. Okay? Mm. But have you reached the point where you could not absorb another stranger in your, uh, in your environment? I haven't, mm. and you haven't, mm. and most of our listeners, in fact, I would say none of our listeners has. Mm. None of us, none of us is overcome by a crisis. Mm. So if, there is, if we don't experience the crisis, then why is it a crisis? Let's stop mm. talking about the crisis and let's look at uh, reasonable and viable and proven uh, uh, approaches, policy approaches like uh, community sponsorship, which allows ordinary people to cluster in groups of 10 or 20 and put their, their minds and hearts and resources together and welcome a family uh, oh. into, into their lives. And everyone who does that, practically without exception, says it's a wonderful experience. Oh called the Canadian model and it's highly to be recommended. When you do that kind of thing, then you say, I don't, don't talk to me about crisis. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. But 
I think this is this is mainly the the Western look. If if you look at other parts of the globe, I think we can actually speak of of real crisis where there there are wars who are devastating whole countries. There's famine and disease. So maybe when 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 you say that the crisis there is no crisis, you mean a Westernized world. But then in in other parts of the world there are true crises of migration of war. No 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 no. Wait a minute. No, that's exact. Now you're doing exactly. Exactly the same thing. You're putting migration into the same list with war and persecution and drought and uh, earthquakes and invasions. That's not right. Migration okay. is a reasonable human response to difficulties. It's mm-hmm. not itself. It, 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 it's not in self. It's not in the same list with war, and it's not in the same list with persecution. It's not in the same list with 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 uh, uh, dire poverty. No. Mm-hmm. Migration is a reasonable human response to a difficulty, and many uh, we wouldn't be the human family we were we are if our ancestors didn't respond to the uh, depleting resources in one place in order to move to another. Hmm. Right? Okay. okay. Or, or yeah. yeah, we're no, not no. all where we started from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, no. so so let's let's use the word crisis uh, modestly where it belongs, and then really face those crises. You know, all the energy spent uh, uh, worrying or lamenting migration, if that energy were spent on uh, nuclear disarmament on, and on, especially on stopping the arms trade, that alone would, would, would help get our world also out of its crises, including mm-hmm. COVID. You know, mm-hmm. if, we would, if we would stop uh, countries like the ones from which both of you, you and I, are talking, we would we would stop producing methanes mm. for sale and 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 fueling the conflicts which drive people from their homes. Not mm. to mention what our way of life does in terms of the poverty elsewhere. Mm-hmm. No, is yeah, that right? Yes. So yeah. <laughs> don't let me hear you talking about migration crisis ever again. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> we might disagree on this, but I will not talk about this on this podcast anymore. Now, Good. the exploitation I asked you to address just in my previous question is, of course, not only about politics and the economy. It also concerns another issue that is very important to you, namely the environment. Now, we know that the environmental degradation that goes hand in hand with political and economic exploitation is an important factor in making refugees out of settled populations. Now, you have been one of the main voices in the Vatican's recent green turn. Could you tell us how you connect the dots between the environment and your other areas of interest? Well, actually, right uh, this very moment, we're putting uh, the final touches on a, a new uh, handbook a, a new uh, what's called pastoral orientations for climate on climate displaced people so that is doing exactly what you're asking mm-hmm. how how can the church respond how how can the church better respond to people who are uh, displaced by the climate crisis and that's so your your question is is exactly what we uh, decided to face as our thematic focus uh, last year and now the booklet will be coming out and we'll join other booklets in which we have sh- uh, shown um, uh, proposals concrete uh, ways of responding to the various dimensions of the difficulties of migrants then and of refugees uh, then of uh, human trafficking 
of internally displaced people and now of climate displaced people. So that's one one concrete answer to your question. Okay, and and then to conclude, maybe um, in terms of the environment, Pope Francis um, seemed to have ushered in quite a revolutionary new wind, especially on the green field. Now, some harsh critics would say that it is too little, too late. How would you respond to this? Well, uh, I would respond that it's um, that it is uh, little. Mm -hmm. uh, we won't know till. Uh, uh, afterwards, if it was uh, too little, mm -hmm. but hopefully it's not too little. It, but it is little now, and it has to be more. It, it really has to be more, and that's that is uh, along with COVID and uh, the other list of urgent crises. Uh, mm -hmm. This is this is a very 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 important one. So let's let's really hope and 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 pray and struggle that it not be too little. About too late, that's, uh, maybe that's where you, where you can conclude on a more uh, religious note. Too late means that there's no hope. Oh. And uh, that's, uh, that would be contrary to our Christian faith. There's no, there is no way that we could declare um, uh, our human situation to be hopeless because we believe that God is provident and will help us to uh, help our, ourselves dig ourselves out of the mess we put ourselves into. So I have hope in that. Uh, I have hope in God, and I have hope in people's uh, goodness and willingness and uh, generosity and this great capacity to respond to challenges. And I hope that um, our religious leadership will inspire our political leadership to uh, organize us out of this mess that. Uh, uh, different forms of neglect and uh, short-sightedness have gotten us into. And I conclude by thanking you for this nice interview, and I hope that you've enjoyed it and that your listeners will enjoy it as well. Well, I would like to thank you as well for being with us. This has been a highly enlightening conversation. And I would also like to thank the listeners from my part who have joined us for one more episode of Big Voices. Uh, thank you, Father Michael. And my name is Christoph van Houten. Goodbye. Bye-bye.